The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by MBE Coaching, High Echelon PC, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Elemental Altitude Training Centers. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia, a mom to three girls, the CPA. Michelle, this feels like the first time that we've gotten together in a little while where we're not really doing a race report or interviewing somebody else. We're just kind of like catching up on the news and talking about the big controversies of the day, right? That's true. I, I think this is good for me. I'm uh, <laughs> a big a big fan of Iron Man, but definitely playing, um, you know, kind of like the odd man out in these uh, <laughs> Iron Man Kona and Nice interviews. I can't really talk all the triathlon talk, even though I wish I could. Like bike um, gearing so, and that kind of thing. Oh, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I mean, I, I followed much more of what Jacqueline was saying about needing more resistance than I did when Joseph was talking actual, 
whatever actual, he was talking. actual number of teeth on a gear <laughs> that's that thing yes um so yeah happy to be back to talk about this current events and fun endurance sports stuff absolutely absolutely before we do that we should do a strength work check-in we haven't done one of those in a little while either and i have something to report uh what's your strength work check-in you've been doing it yeah i've been keeping up with strength work i've kind of switched programs switched strength coaches um so spent a lot of the last few weeks kind of getting back to the basics of stretching and foam rolling and honestly just like learning an entirely new approach to foam rolling Mm -hmm. um Lots of YouTube videos provided. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I sometimes spend more time watching the videos to one, make sure one I'm minute kind of, long YouTube videos over and over and over again. <laughs> yes, over and over. Um, yeah. So just like relearning, honestly, it's really been pretty interesting. If I think about the way that I did foam roll before, like not that I really mm-hmm. did it a lot, but I did it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, versus how it is now, and just um, this week really kind of got back into using some weights and you know, really kind of feeling like it's an actual workout. So, um, yeah. Very good. Very good. My wife has gone on some familiarization trips, some fam trips, which is what travel agents and travel agency owners do, uh, to different sites. And a lot of times she'll check out like the fitness offerings they have in their gyms. And it's become fairly commonplace for the people at resorts to offer foam rolling classes. Have you seen that? Yeah. No. And so, but I so don't you, spend nearly as much time at resorts as Casey gets to. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's it's like in the same way that you would go and there'd be a yoga class or a Pilates sure. class or something else like that. There's a foam rolling class, which I haven't taken one, um, but but she has been to more than one, as a matter of fact. And she says it's always pretty good and very worthwhile and interesting. Um, and how often do you set aside a whole lot of time, like 30 to 45 minutes, just to foam roll, right? I mean, you just don't. It's just awful. even though you should well you have been lately not 30 to 45 minutes but but 15 to 20 minutes uh certainly on on a regular basis i have been too i uh i've started doing more strength work as well i have hired a coach too and uh you said to me one time it was something you're very bad at but it's exactly what you need or something like that right i mean that is that is truer words have not been spoken. <laughs> like, there's no way around that. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially I just, I know people say this all the time, but you know, like 42 years old, I can't just get up and run out the door yeah. the way that I could 10 years ago. And I certainly yeah. don't recover super shoes and all uh, the way that the way that I used to. Um, mm. And I don't, and again, it's not massive amounts of time, but it is, if I just take that 10 or 15 minutes, it, it makes a big difference, uh, especially yeah. the next day. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, wait till you get to be 49. Woo. Yeah, uh, no thanks. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the reflections around my turning 50 next year and a lot of as I'm thinking about being a runner on the other age of 50, being a so-called grand masters um, was about, OK, I need to address some of these deep issues some of these strength imbalances, some of these flexibility, mobility issues that I have. Right. Um, And so, so the coach that I hired is somebody who specializes in that sort of thing. And so that means a lot of foam rolling. That means a lot of strength work. Um, And, and yeah, as you said, true words have never been spoken. Uh, These are things I'm terrible at and things that I do not enjoy, but they're, they're clearly things I need. And of course, one of the reasons why, why I need them 
and is because I am terrible at them and because I don't enjoy them. So I've never really done them all that much. Right. Right. Um, there's obviously a linkage between, between those various feelings and, and the physiological need that I have here. But, um, but yeah, if I, to the degree that I have big goals next year, which I like to think that I do, um, I need to, and, and to the degree that I want to continue to run past age 50, right? I mean, I've been running for more than 30 years. Do I want to keep on running for another 30 years? Sure. Why not? Yeah. And, and I think yeah. the biggest thing for me is, you know, I can't, um, can't help tripping and falling, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. literally six weeks post a, a really bad fall. I'm nursing almost like whip. I'm, I've been treated for like whiplash at this point, but so that can't help that, but it can help all of the potential like overuse injuries or, yeah. you know, just tight calves or all the stuff that more often than not will sideline me um, mm-hmm. versus just like face planting in the woods, which also sucks. But um, yeah, so just to be able to mitigate that type of stuff with this type of program was mm-hmm. kind of what I was really hoping yeah. for. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. So we, uh, I am, I am sore as I'm sitting here talking to you today because I did go to the gym yesterday for the first time in a while and did some weightlifting, including some lifts I literally have not done in decades. Um, and including some things that I'm so bad at them. I kid you not, my friend, Michelle, I had to use five pound dumbbells. <laughs> Well, I'm sore just because I ran like eight tenths of a mile with you. So <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> I don't feel I, so bad for you. <laughs> Sorry. I like, I, so I, I, I looked at the particular lift that was on my schedule and I was like, I, that's going to be hard. And those are some pretty small muscles. I watched the one minute video on it. And so let me, uh, let me get this 7.5 pound dumbbell. And I do like two or three reps. And I was like, nope, that is too heavy. And I'm going to have to go to the five pound is really substantial for these movements that pick up on a muscle that's otherwise probably not been oh yeah uh, like engaged in years thank um, you i yeah. appreciate you saying that that is definitely what i've been telling myself for the past 24 hours uh, um yeah. but but I yeah i mean you pick up a five pound dumbbell you can barely even tell it's in your hand uh, and then I start doing reverse flies and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that would be really tough. I mean, I can remember just like with five pound plates um, doing reverse flies and you just, does that work your lats? Like, I don't even know the muscles. It's, 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 it it's, not, really even, it's not even the lats. It's those little tiny muscles in between yeah. your lats and your trapezes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. that burns. I just... <laughs> well, that's what I did yesterday. And that spot on my back is sore today. So how do you like me now? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, so that's good. I uh, I got an email about the World Marathon majors in Sydney, because I feel like the last time we all talked together, or at least after we talked to following Berlin, um, uh, we talked about how I qualified for the World Marathon Majors Age Group Championship in Sydney. Uh, the uh, World Marathon Majors has announced that they will give a provisional star to anybody who competes in the Age Group Championship on September 15th of 2024 in Sydney, that when Sydney ultimately becomes, presumably becomes, a, a World Marathon Major starred race, uh, that ha- having competed there in September 2024 my provisional star will get converted into a real star and will actually count towards my star count, if you will. Um, what do you think, Michelle? Pretty Should cool. I totally change my plans for next year and now go to Sydney? I mean, I wouldn't totally change your plans for the star. We've talked about <laughs> other issues with the potential trip to Sydney. I'm I'm team 
go to Sydney. Um, but you, know, <laughs> you have other like mitigating circumstances like children and school and important things that affect other people's lives than just Money, yours. Mm-hmm. Money possible mm-hmm. other international trip to run next year. So correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think I think that's kind of cool. But I would understand if for you, that wasn't, you know, the most motivating factor to get you on that start line in Sydney. It's it's not the most motivating factor, but damned if they didn't say it. And I was like, hmm, like <laughs> like if, if if I have like the interest meter, right, if it's it's almost like when we when we record and you can look at the sound meter on 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 the, the software I use for our podcast here, like whenever there's like a really loud sound, the, the little meter will pop up. That's definitely what happened when I first saw that. I was like, oh, and, and, and suddenly I went from 50 50 doing it to like 85 percent doing it. Now I'm back down to about 51% doing it, you know, uh, things yeah. have leveled back out, but, but, you know, um, it definitely did pique my interest, which is probably exactly what they had in mind in sending it in the first place. I, um, but, yeah, but yeah, sure. we'll see. We'll see. Um, speaking of interesting things that have happened in world marathon majors lately, um, there is a new world record in the marathon on in Chicago on October 8th. Um, and we would be remiss at this podcast if we did not at least mention it. Um, Kelvin Kiptum from fair. Kenya, 22 years old, ran two hours and 35 seconds. And you'll notice there is no minutes in that time. It is two hours and 35 seconds. And that's it um, uh, for the full 26.2 marathon distance under on a record eligible course um, on October 8th in Chicago. Um, yeah, he ran the second half faster than the first half, which has become his MO in the three races that he has now won. Um, and he ran the first half in 60-48, um, which was a little bit slower than world record pace, uh, and then came back in under an hour in 59-47. Um, he ran 45-20, so just over 430 pace for the 10 miles between mile 16 and mile 26. Um, he ran 27-52 for the 10K, from 30k to 40k and he ran 1351 for the 5k stretch between 30k and 35k um so it's not like he opened blasting out the first opening 5k in 1351 that's what he ran from 30k to 35k which is roughly mile 19 to mile 22 um yeah it's it's otherworldly. <laughs> sure. uh, I would, what do you uh, think, Michelle? Like to take this moment to just remind everybody that when we discussed the potential for this, I said that I very much thought that he was capable of running it. He would just need like the perfect day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything held him back, it would just kind of be like his lack of pedigree since this was, you know, he's only run a handful of marathons before this and he's so young. But he had that. I mean, Chicago was... Yeah. The perfect day um, they ran kind of there wasn't much of crosswinds this year in Chicago like it was mm-hmm. kind of into a headwind or with a tailwind so like the wind wasn't as much of a hampering factor as we can see in the you know windy city um, mm-hmm. but you know I do think the trajectory of of what he can do and how long he can sustain this is is kind of where the story goes now because yeah um like we've seen Kipchoge for so long be atop everything. And even, you know, we're at a point where even though he won Berlin, people are like a little bit disappointed or like maybe he's done. Exactly. Um, Talking about he's on the decline because he, because he merely ran 202. Right. Right. So, so for me, it's like, 
can a 22 year old come on the marathon scene, break the world record? Can he stay at the top for like, you know, six, seven, eight years? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his coach doesn't think he can. Yeah, I was like gonna say. He was basically yeah. very forthright and saying, I told him that, you know, he needs to lessen the mileage, lessen the intensity, because I want him to be around in five years. So it definitely sounded like he was just uh, not on a trajectory that will keep him at the right. top. But, you know, then he does get this time to be the world record holder. And it is awesome, of course, to see um, a world record run. So. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll we'll wait and see what happens with him. There is always a little bit of, you know, like it's too much, too soon, it's too fast. But what are you going to do? Right. Uh, he he just he he executes his races, especially. It's he is like the definition of people. The way he negative splits is it's just incredible. No, oh, it's amazing. Uh, and he and he looks he looks comfortable doing it. Yeah. I mean, he right. looks beautiful doing it. Right. Right. Um, I mean, he, he, he's a gorgeous runner. Um, yeah. I was going to mention about his coach saying that because, you know, and, and, and I, I obviously would like to see him have a long and illustrious career, but at the same time, I, I, I certainly understand the allure of, okay, let's say he has five good years. And in those five good years, he sets a world record and becomes the first person to run under two hours for a marathon on a record eligible course. Um, maybe even wins the gold medal next year right? Sure. Doesn't that feel like, aren't those three things worth shortening your career for? <laughs> you know? I mean, um, I think to become the first person to run under two hours in like a sanctioned race is worth shortening the career for. But I think at some point, just having the world record of two hours and 35 seconds is, is not going to be like, that will be lost, mm-hmm. right? Because somebody's going to come along and run two hours and 33 seconds, probably here within the next year you know, if yeah. even that, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is incredible that, that 20109 was run last year in Berlin. So in 2022 in Berlin by Elliot Kipchoge. And we were looking at that and it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. If you, if you even back up a few years from that, when he ran what, 20135 uh, roughly in, in Berlin a few years prior, everybody's like, oh my God, that's so incredible. Nobody's even close. And then the following year, Kenanisa Bekele showed up and missed it by two seconds. Yeah, and then then he runs two hundred one hundred nine last year, and everybody's like, "Oh, this is going to be the record for years and years and years to come." And it no. it made it just barely over a year. And I and um, I think every year that um, people see what other people are doing, you're going to have more and more people that you know are really close to even that two hundred one hundred nine, mm-hmm. and then for sure the two hours thirty five, and then mm-hmm. obviously breaking two is um, yeah, like that'll probably be the talk of men's marathoning now. For sure. Um, you know, and it's in, I think it's also worthwhile to call back to remember when we had Brett Larner on the podcast uh, from Japan running news. Um, and he said that, that one thing that he was seeing in Japan is that there's a crop of younger runners who were 17, 18, 19 years old, who have spent their entire running career at this point in super shoes. Yep. Um, and so they, know how to run in them which is a thing like running in super shoes is a skill like it is something you actually have to learn how to do um and they've had the benefit of the boosted recovery and and all those other sorts of things that you get from having the super shoes they literally have run their entire career in them at this point you could probably say about the same thing about kelvin kipton um i imagine he's been a runner for a long time but he's only 22 and super shoes have been on the scene since 2016 um or even before so, so he's had, they, they've been around since he was an early teen. 
uh, you know, since he was an adolescent. Um, and so I think to the degree that that's an actual phenomenon, that that's actually going to cause the next generation of runners to be even faster, um, that Brett Larner is right in his theory about that, um, then yeah, you're right that Kelvin Kipton was fabulous, but we would be mistaken to think that, oh, nobody's going to beat him for the next five years. We, yeah. we, we'd be mistaken to think that, oh, well, he's going to set the record. Nobody's going to touch it. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's it amazing. fun to watch. Definitely fun to watch for sure. For sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about the New York City Marathon since that's this weekend. Um, and since we're talking about marathons and world marathon majors and that sort of thing, uh, the last world marathon major of the year, the New York City Marathon, it's always on the time change weekend. Uh, it's going to be on Sunday. We're recording here on Friday. Um, and uh, Justin Smith, friend of the podcast, is running the New York City Marathon. So I guess first and foremost, we should wish him uh, very good luck. Um, but uh, there was a New York Times article that I shared with y'all earlier this week that was all about these people that are running the marathon and their, their spouses have to listen to them talking about running and that sort of thing. Um, it's good that we have each other, Michelle, and Eric, too. <laughs> <laughs> it I definitely know, assists, that saves the significant others in our life uh, a lot yeah, of stress or a lot of conversations <laughs> about running, um, you know, which is nice. Um, I mean, I will say that in that article, you know, the first example was somebody relatively newer to running, newer to marathoning, and just the idea of coming back and wanting to talk or, you know, before I ran every single day, wanting mm -hmm. to talk to like my partner about what route I'm going to run and then like look at the Strava after and analyze it. And like, I, I have no concept of ever being like that. <laughs> um, so I really, I feel for those people's significant others, like that just sounds horrible. And I'm somebody who is, you know, fully engaged in the same thing on a day-to-day -day basis, but I just don't, um, I can't imagine dwelling on it the way that that article describes. So, but, but, the difference is that you have a community. You have people that you can actually talk to talk to about running with. And it's not, I joke that it's me and you. It's not. You have like multiple text threads with all sorts of people that talk about different aspects of running. And, and you meet the group on Thursday morning that you ran with yesterday and y'all can talk about running and, and, and all that sort of thing, right? Um, whereas, whereas the thing that stood out is that like, I think even one of the people that they profiled in the article their significant other found for them a running group so that they didn't have to talk about running anymore with them. <laughs> that was good. That yeah. that pretty that's um if, if you don't get the the hint, you know, when, <laughs> like, that was kind of um but yeah no I thought it was I don't know it was an okay article from the Times. It wasn't, you know, I, maybe there's a lot more people out there that can relate to that. Um it, to me it felt like watching and I know it's kind of old at this point. Um but like that Iron Man video on YouTube that mm -hmm. talks about, you know, like what it's oh, like to train right, right. for an Iron Man or whatever, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But, like I, but, I, like, but, 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 I, but I think that it does, um, interestingly enough, I think that it does speak to the fact, and this, this ties into something we're going to talk about with UTMB here in just a few minutes. I think it does tie into the fact that there's a lot of people who run marathons that are not necessarily part of what I might call the running community. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. and 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 that and that's not to to in any way, like like condescend those people at all. I'm not trying to suggest that. But like you and I, I would say, are members of the running community. Like we go to group runs, we have a podcast, like we 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 engage with other people who are runners. But there's a lot of people who, like we're talking about Kelvin Kiptum and Elliot Kipchoge. There's a lot of people that don't even know who those people are, even though yeah. they run marathons. Do you know so, what I mean? 
Yeah, I think more people than not, and this actually even applies to like many elites across all like road, mountain, ultra trail. So I think it's a small minority of people who are um, either or students of the sport or just the nicest way I can say it is running geeks or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. running uh, triathlon cycling geeks, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I do, I do sometimes forget that that's, that's really not the majority. I mean, I Mm -hmm. would say like, yeah, most people, even at some of these group runs that I go to, um, they don't have a clue what's going on in the mm-hmm. the running world. Right. It's just not part of their day to day, what they're looking to engage right. in or fill right. their brains with. And and so and and so with that in mind, I feel like um, like those are the folks that the the New York Times article was pitched to, and those are the folks the New York Times article was about, right? Um, sure. and, and, and I think definitely, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about controversy surrounding UTMB here in just a few minutes, but, but one of the ultimate things we're going to say is, okay, so what does that mean for me and you? Well, I think there's only a very small portion of the population who's actually plugged into what the controversy is and really even cares, um, and, and is going to wrestle with, okay, well, so what's my response actually be? Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, as we often do. Let's talk about the yeah. New York City Marathon. <laughs> yeah, if your partner's running New York City this weekend, or you're running, you should support the partner. Or- well, you know, I I have a friend that I I have a I have a friend that I ride Zwift with on on a lot of Saturday mornings. Um, and he used to be on our Blue Ridge Relay team, and he's switched over entirely to cycling now. And um, I texted that text thread with with him and a few other people and said, hey, is anybody riding on Zwift on Saturday morning? And he wrote back and said, said no, I'm going to New York City for, for a wedding. I said, are you going to watch the marathon? He goes, oh, I didn't know it was this weekend. <laughs> so this is like sort of um, a side question, but I was actually wondering if somebody who has yet to get a spot on the starting line for the New York City marathon, but really wants one and just does not want to fundraise. I do not want to go that route. Does the city feel like there's 50 60 thousand people no. there to run a race nope. or nope Not right at all. like you can just you have no idea unless maybe you need to go out for like a yeah. walk on fifth avenue yeah. sunday morning and it's closed yeah. down yeah. right like i would imagine this is like not even uh a dent in just normal 24 right. 7 activity in manhattan right right like maybe I mean, the hotels in staten island feel it right because you can't mm-hmm. get a room there right um but otherwise no yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll even take it a step farther during the race itself, like people literally no the idea. race is running and it's the largest marathon in the world. And like people will step off the sidewalk and cross the street right in front of you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know I keep seeing this. Um, I keep seeing the memes circulated about how to cross the street in the middle of a marathon. You know, instead of the arrows straight across, it's got it pointed like 60 degrees diagonal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a good point. Um no, I've always it, wondered that, but. but 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 that to me is part of what makes the New York City Marathon kind of great because that's such a New York thing, right? Like okay. like I I always say, and I've said multiple times on this podcast, one of the the key criteria for me about whether a race is a good race is whether it literally lives up to its name. Well, not literally because it's not a living thing, but whether it lives up to its name specifically, like the New York city marathon needs to be a marathon in New York city. It shouldn't, shouldn't be something like way off in New Jersey that we're calling the New York city marathon. Um, uh, it should be a marathon, a 26.2 mile race that actually takes place in New York and New York city really truly does. You have celebrities that take part, you go through all five boroughs, you finish in, in central park. 
it feels like you're running a, a race in New York City. And that's complete with people who are just unconcerned about what you're up to. And they are going about their business and they're going to cross the street directly in front of you. That feels very New York to me. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of appreciate that aspect of it. Um, the women's race is a super competitive race. The men's race, not oh, so yeah. much, even though it is kind of interesting. But let's talk about the women first, since it's a stacked field. Yeah. So um, Let's Run considers the women's elite field, like, quote, absolutely stacked, the best in race history and one of the greatest assembled in the history of the sport. Um, Which is not something out, you can always say about New York. No, you yeah. can almost never say that about New York. Yeah. But I just want to qualify this. This did come out yesterday before um, the defending 2021 Olympic gold medalist, Paris Jeffichir announced at the press conference that she wasn't sure if she was going to start on Sunday. Um, she sustained a calf injury mm. in her last workout. So there's kind of like four people headlining that quote, absolutely stacked best in race history field. She's one of them. And if she doesn't start, you know, it changes the dynamic a little bit. Um, but we still have like former world record holder, Bridget Cosguy. We have um, Letiz and Bet Gide. And we have, of course, Boston Marathon champion, Helen O'Beary at the starting line. So mm -hmm. She's definitely back for um, a redo in New York City. Helen definitely is looking for a do-over. And I saw that um, her coach, Dathan Ritzenheim, she trains with on and Dathan out in Colorado now, said that if she was going to like a Chicago or a Valencia, that she could totally run 211. And if he knows Helen can do it, um, then, you know, he assumes other women can do it also. So that that's pretty profound. Right. Like, you know, I think as we discussed a few weeks ago, we went from... 214 and we skipped <laughs> to 13 to 12 to the women's world record being 211 um so it should be interesting to see what she does there no so. for sure for sure and you you mentioned latenzabet gide um has she run a marathon i know she's the half marathon world record holder um but has she run a marathon um i don't think it's her debut but yeah i, I don't I can't, know i don't know what she's her... run she's run 10252 uh for half marathon she's run just barely over 29 minutes for for 10k uh she's a cross-country world champion i mean she's a brilliant brilliant runner so if anybody's going to run super fast on the new york city marathon course it would be her and and she's one of the headliners but not the headliner um, right. you know you have the former world record holder like you said bridget cosguy who only lost her world record you know last month um, and then we haven't even talked about how you have the defending champion in the field too, Sharon Locati. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sharon is back as the defending champion. I'll just say, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it is true. The field, the competition last year was nothing, um, of, of what it is this year. I do think, um, Sharon had a pretty tough year, um, hasn't, you know, been fully healthy, um, since that win, but I do think her coach, um, Haas, is that how you say his name? Mm -hmm. You know, he he felt like all things were pointing in a good direction. So it sounds like she's coming into some really good fitness, but she just might not be right where she was last year. I just remember last year he was very confident that and not surprised that she took the win. Like that's what they were um thought that she could contend for. I think with these other women kind of stacked on top of her, um, you know, hopefully she'll be up there. But she's run half marathons against some of these women recently um and been beaten by like i don't know i think like a minute or a minute and a half so mm. i think it's going to be tough for her to repeat as champion but you know what it's new york and it's a very strategic course 
Um, so it's not always that the fastest uh, wins on the day. Right. But it'll right. be good to see her back healthy um, tackling the marathon again. Absolutely. Very good. Americans in the field? Yeah. So welcome back to Marathon uh, for Kellen Taylor and Molly Huddle. I thought yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really interesting. Both of them are coming back from um, having a baby last year. And, you know, Molly had a pretty good half um, several months ago, like maybe 70 minutes, but then she, she got pretty injured again. Um, she was on crutches, if I remember correctly. So yeah. I think she hasn't had the exact build that she did um, the last time she ran New York City or even just a marathon in general. But on a healthy, like I, I think Molly is just the, the better road runner versus her and Kellen. I, I do think it's interesting. Kellen was quoted as saying um, that Chicago was much better timing especially with the marathon trials coming up in just February, which at this point is really just a few months away. Um, but she said Chicago wouldn't have her. Um, and, and I think the commentary said Chicago wouldn't have them. So I'm not sure if both she and Molly wanted to go to Chicago and Chicago didn't want them, but for sure they would not extend an invitation to Kellen. So um, whether it's coming back from injury or just needing more time to train, both of these women are lining up for New York for their first marathon back after giving birth last year. So it should be really exciting to hopefully see them go for it. Very good. Very good. Very good. On the men's side, we mentioned Sharon Locati. Well, Sharon Locati is bringing her significant other with <laughs> her, uh, uh, Edward Cheserick, and he's going to be doing his debut marathon. It's funny, her coach, Haas, um, was his coach for a while um, and was always pressuring Edward Cheserick to get into a marathon, and he never wanted to. Um, well, he is now. So Edward Cheserick uh, from Kenya, but he went to the University of Oregon where he won 17 NCAA titles. Uh, and he runs for Skechers still. He's been sponsored by Skechers his entire professional running career, um, which I wear Skechers sometimes too. So I am certainly glad to see that. Um, but uh, he is not the headliner of the field by any stretch. Um, uh, the 2022 champion Evans Chibet and the 2017-2019 champion Jeffrey Kim Ward, they both had to withdraw last month. And so that leaves a few people, I would say, in addition to Edward Cheswick, who I already mentioned, that say five more people that, that are worth mentioning. Um, one is Tamarit Tola, uh, who was the 2022 uh, world champion uh, at the marathon there in Eugene. Um, you have Shura Katata, who's finished twice, uh, second, or uh, he has finished second twice, that's what I'm trying to say, in, in New York City, um, but has never won. Um, he has won the, the London Marathon, and in fact, most notably won the London Marathon in uh, by defeating uh, none other than Elliot Kipchoge a couple of years ago. Um, you have two silver medalists. Um, you have Abdi Nagie, uh, who won the uh, silver medal in the Olympic Games in 204-56 um, from the Netherlands. Uh, and then you have Maru Tafari from Israel, who won the silver medal um, in, in the World Championships uh, earlier this year. Um, and then you also have Cam Levins. Um, and so Cam Levins from Canada. Canadian has never won the New York City Marathon. Cam Levins finished fourth in the World Championships last year in Eugene uh, and finished second by only about 15 seconds uh, at the Tokyo Marathon earlier this year. Um, he has kept up his 170, 180 mile a week regimen in his build up to New York City, uh, just added in a few hills along the way. He said he's running much hillier courses and doing more strength work here ahead of the roughly 1,000 feet of climbing that is in the New York City Marathon. Um, and he will potentially be gunning for the win as well. 
Um, we'll see. Um, on the American side, Elkana Cabet from uh, the USA, uh, he's 40 years old, but can still run 209. Um, and so we'll see whether uh, he is, is able to pull off another good time. <clears throat> and uh, Futsum Zinasalaze uh, from the New York, uh, uh, from the USA, uh, is also run 209. Um, and they're kind of the two fastest Americans that are in the field here, but uh, we'll see what they're able to pull off here uh, on Sunday. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited for like the Edward Cheserek show. I think it's going to be I hope that we get some good camera footage. I would love to just, I want to watch him run this. And mm-hmm. I think he's a entertaining runner. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I thought it was he's a guy. He's clearly a guy who knows how to win. Right. I mean, he, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. King Chess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's 17 NCAA titles. I mean, that, that includes cross country titles. That includes, includes, you know, short distance mile titles, that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, this feels like a very long awaited, um, like, Agreed. Finally, I feel like um, agreed. Well, particularly then, because he hasn't been successful on the track as a pro the way he was in his NCAA. Like, yeah, I feel like he just hasn't arrived as a professional runner. And so I, I would love to see him arrive as a professional runner um, in New York City on Sunday in his Skechers. Uh, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if he actually wears Skechers amongst everybody else wearing an actual super shoe. Mm hmm. That's the first thing I'm looking for on Sunday. Mm, um, fair, fair point. Uh, he was wearing, I mean, he. the reason why we know that he he is still sponsored by Skechers because he was wearing Skechers gear in all the news conferences, right? He was wearing hoodies yes. with Skechers. Written. So, right. so, so it's not as if he's like wearing unbranded gear or right. has done anything to suggest that he's no longer with Skechers. Uh, right. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we've, we've just seen historically that when a, a shoe brand doesn't have a shoe that can compete, they've been pretty pretty liberal um and allowed their their sponsored athlete to wear what they feel you know would bring them the best um success on race day so but only but only when they're willing to admit that they don't have a shoe sketchers actually does have a couple of carbon plated shoes um and so so the question becomes is sketchers willing to actually give over and say i don't know i don't know the answer to that question I mean, some people don't even, some people are like, oh, Skechers is still making running shoes. So I, I don't know. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see, you know, how that plays into um, both his appearance and, and what happens on race day. Mm-hmm. But in the name of like shoe brands and shoe advertising, I thought it was uh, the Morning Brew newsletter. Actually, um, Hoka is a sponsor and they used an advertisement um, with Futsum ahead of New York City Marathon, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think for him you know, obviously looking for him, um, to have a good race. Hopefully I think it's believed that he can run much faster than, than 209, but you know, obviously if he can get that, um, 208 mark under 208 to mm-hmm. open up that third and final spot guaranteed for the men going into the Olympic trials, I think he probably, that, that's definitely, I hope he doesn't go out on 202 pace. Like we just need, we need him to run smart. Um, and then I think he could actually be the guy to do that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned unlocking those spaces there uh, for sure. Um, two of the spaces were uh, unlocked there at the Chicago Marathon. Um, one was by Connor Mance, who we've talked about a whole lot uh, in this uh, podcast before, uh, finishes the top finisher in Chicago with a 207.47. Um, and then you had his teammate and training partner, Clayton Murphy, uh, who who finished what only like ten seconds behind him, I want to say it could have only been about ten seconds behind him because it was also under two hundred eight, right? Um, yep. Who unlocked that second spot, and so with that, we're now guaranteed to have at least two men 
in the marathon at the Olympic Games in 2024. So good job, fellas. Well done. Um, and yeah, we'd like to see that third spot get unlocked, obviously. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say Cam Levins definitely has my, my attention. Um, he ran so well, you know, he's newly sponsored by ASICS. I think probably it's less than 12 months that he's been with them. Oh, I didn't um, realize that. Yeah. So he's, he did all of his training in like the meta speed edge and sky, I think he said. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, he's such a baller like just, <laughs> right like he just he does it his way and he shows up on race day yeah um so i i think we can expect to see him up at the front from the gun um yeah, and, and hopefully too. he can kind of hold it out and yeah i would love to see it i would i mean to my, go from fourth place to any place on a podium would be awesome yeah i agree my actual pick to win is tola but we'll see. And that's an easy pick. I mean, that's a safe pick, right? That's so boring, um, uh, I know. I agree. That's but <laughs> but but if you were you were to ask me to draw upon my expertise as a observer of the sport, it would be Tamara Tola because I think he's a brilliant runner. Um, and he's shown that he can win tactical races on not fast courses by virtue of his win last year in the world championship, right? Um, but yeah, I would love to see Cam Levins do do well. I would love it. Who do you think is gonna win the women's race? Man, I think Helen's out for blood. Hmm. Hmm. So I think she had such a disappointing experience there. And I think she got the feel of what it felt like to win in Boston. And I just, yeah. I don't know if she's beatable. All I don't right. know. We'll All see right. though. <laughs> we will see indeed. We will see indeed. All right. So speaking of the Olympic trials, uh, we want to kind of segue into talking about Drama and controversy in general. And so let's talk about a little bit of drama and controversy uh, related to the Orlando Olympic trials here uh, for the U.S. Olympic team. Um, you'll recall the history over the course of the last little while here. Um, Atlanta hosted the Olympic trials in 2020, and Rich Kana came on to this podcast, the director of the Atlanta Track Club, and said that Atlanta would not be submitting a, another bid for the Olympic trials to host the Olympic trials. Um, until USATF, uh, USA Track and Field, uh, actually changed the way that they go through the process and the way that they, they interact with the local organizing committee. Um, leading up to the 2024 trials, for a while there, it didn't look like any cities were actually going to bid for it. Um, and then Chattanooga and Orlando ultimately did, and it was awarded to Orlando. Then we come to find out that the race is actually going to be taking place at noon um, in part so that it can be broadcast live on the West Coast um, at a, a good time on Saturday morning, at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. Uh, but there was a question about whether uh, a noon start time for an Orlando race, uh, a February race in Florida, was really even safe for the runners. And we talked about that on this podcast a little while ago and about maybe what some of the pros and the cons were of starting that. Uh, but the athletes had been pretty stridently opposed to, to the noon start. So the athletes have been in, in contact with USATF and in talks with USATF and the local organizing committee um, led by Track Shack, which is a race organization company and a running specialty store there in Orlando over the course of the last little while. And Michelle, what's the latest this week? Are they moving the time? Are they not moving the time? It's kind of hard to follow. Yeah. So the athletes um, had a meeting with USATF and they basically uh, 80 something of them had signed that petition and they came out of the meeting and it was almost like there was an embargo on the meeting. Um, and we heard, you know, I think first basically from Jared Ward that they were hopeful for some sort of compromise um, on an earlier starting time. And it was a little bit of a, 
a little crazy. Like the athletes kind of went with this six to 8 a.m. And I don't think anybody ever thought that would happen, but they were hopeful for a 10 a.m. start time and then basically found out that that was completely denied. Um, And USATF said that they were fully willing to move the time and NBC was fully willing to move the time and that the um, local organizing committee, so Orlando, was actually unwilling to be flexible and pushing back the start time. At this point, we're talking about like a 10 a.m. start time. So this past week, you know, the athletes sent um, the USATF advisory committee, which is made up of athletes, um, some of whom are running the trials, and they sent this like blazing letter to the local organizing committee. And my initial reaction to USATF blaming it on the local organizing committee, and I and I said this in every running text group I'm in, was this <laughs> smells fishy. Like the athletes have and actually had no communication with Orlando, right? They've had no communication with the local organizing committee. They've had communication with USATF. USATF is blaming it on the local organizing committee. And I'm like, this is, this is just you, the USATF, way that USATF does stuff, right? You, they USATF are who is who, USATF who is currently marred being with sued, other controversy. being yeah. sued by other athletes for disregarding the athlete safety during championship and, and, and trials events, right? And so, right. so they have a history of making decisions about scheduling and locations and things like that based on things other than athlete well-being, right? Um, but they said this one wasn't on us. This was the local organizing committee. Yeah, they absolutely tried to completely wash their hands of it, lay the entirety of the blame on the local organizing committee. So once the local organizing committee received the letter from the athlete advisory committee this week, man, they just, I think it was within 48 hours, they had a two page single space letter back. Mm-hmm. They detailed exactly what happened with USATF and NBC. And man, they are holding USATF to the fire. Yeah. So at this point, it's interesting because now they, you know, USATF blamed the local organizing committee. They went back to the athletes and said, it's not actually us. This is what actually happened. But the end result of this is that USATF and the local organizing committee are now actually forced to come up with some sort of decision that I would recommend or suggest is heavily in favor of at least a 10 a.m. start time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, otherwise, I don't know what. I mean, that's the problem, right? Is is otherwise what? Their athletes aren't going to show up to try to qualify for yeah. the Olympics. That's the problem. That's the power USATF has. The, but they're just so yeah. dirty. Yeah, yeah, and and so sleazy. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, just how sleazy is it to 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 not move the start time because you want to maintain your TV contracts and whatever else, and 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 they then be like, oh well, no, athletes. but we want we want to, but it's these local, it's these local organizing committees who we require to do virtually all of the logistical work of putting on the race um uh and and we require to actually take on most of the cost um uh it's it's actually them that's not worried about your well-being it's actually the local areas it's actually this like mom and pop running specialty store that's been right. running races and organizing races years. in Orlando for the past 40 years. Like, oh no, it's them. What a dick move, right? Yeah, I, um, this is like... to, to, to blame them for that. I mean, it's kind of incredible, really. And 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 of course, that was the, the tenor of the letter that came from Track Shack um, 
in the voice of the local organizing committee to say, look, we're a part of this community. We always build races based upon uh, runner well-being um, and to suggest otherwise is, is silly. You told us, USATF, when we first made the bid that noon was a non-negotiable. And now you're out here trying to negotiate it, or at least you're trying to blame us for for saying that that uh, we want to keep it where it is. Um, but they said, we're going to lose a lot of money based upon the fact that we have to move it. And so I think it's going to get moved. And they say, some of this money that we're going to lose because of the sponsorship agreements and that sort of thing, the, the USATF needs to cover it. USATF needs to cover it. Um, yeah, I, it's just, it's just. Right. But what at an the awful end of the day, governing organization. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and it, honestly, like, and the athletes are just, we're just stuck with USATF. Yeah. It is an awful, awful governing yeah. organization. Yeah. And, and you know, they, and they I, might all be awful, honestly. Yeah. True. Good point. Um, UCI is, is no bunch of wonderful people. That's for sure. Yeah, um, soccer. But, I mean, this is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, USA Gymnastics. Woo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we need to burn them all down. Right. Um, yeah. But, but no point taken. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I keep coming back to what Rich Kana said on this very podcast. Um, and Kara Goucher essentially tweeted this um, in response to the publication of the letter by the local organizing committee. Like why would a city want to host trials? Why, 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 why would you want to enter into an agreement with USATF in which you had to take on all the logistical work, you have to take on virtually all of the cost, and then if anything goes wrong, they're going to throw you under the bus, even if it's totally their call. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But four months to go. <laughs> four months to go. It will happen. I think it, I think the time's going to be moved now, which I think is probably good for the athletes. Um, I think that that in four years, the trials are probably going to be on the West Coast somewhere in order to avoid this sort of, you know, West Coast versus East Coast time change television coverage issue. Um, so we'll see. Um, but um, but but uh, I think the time will be changed and we'll we'll get an Olympic team one way or another. Um, speaking of controversy, let's also talk about UTMB. Um, so so, yeah, there's been a lot of talk this week about whether UTMB uh, is is destroying ultra marathons. Um, and so UTMB, of course, we've talked about them on this podcast before the book of the quarter, which we need to perhaps review one of these days since the quarter ended over a month ago. That's kind of been our MO this year, right? Um, it's called The Race That Changed Running, The Inside Story of UTMB by Doug Meyer. Um, and uh, uh, it's obviously about that race. We talked about the race when it happened. Um, it's the Super Bowl of ultra running, right? But it's been from the start run by this kind of big company, um, the, this corporation. And that has always been a little bit contrary to the ethos of trail running. Uh, trail runners are kind of small, gritty, earthy, mom and pop uh, directed races that that aren't as flashy and aren't as well supported. And they, that's kind of part of, of what they pride themselves on, right? Um, and so when a big corporation who expressly says we want to make a big flashy event um, that has lots of people in it and has a lot of swag attached to it, well, trail runners were immediately skeptical. Um, and then trail runners got even more skeptical when uh, in 2021, UTMB, the company, was bought by Iron Man. Um, um, and it, I, I always thought it was a really interesting marriage because Iron Man grew up into this massive global 
multinational uh, company that, that, that makes billions of dollars based on this one event in Hawaii, based on the Ironman World Championship, right? And so UTMB right. is kind of something similar. They, they've sort of built this big, massive global brand based on this one kind of cool and really awesome race in, in France, right? Um, in, in, uh, in, in Chamonix. Um, and so almost immediately they announced that they were going to start this qualification process for UTMB. It's very similar to like the world championship qualification process for Kona that, that it's kind of similar to all world athletes where you get points by doing these various things. And, you know, that they had the loyalty program that, that if you do a bunch of Ironman races, you can get into the world championship in Kona. Um, uh, UTMB has this thing where you have to run a certain number of the races in order to collect what they call stones um, in order to be able to, to qualify for their event. So that was kind of very much a, a play out of the Ironman playbook. Um, well, all that being said, let's fast forward to February of this year. There was a small trail running company in Whistler, Canada, announced that the trail race they've been putting on for about a decade wouldn't be held because they couldn't read it, reach an agreement with the local landowners. Um, then fast forward to last Thursday, the 26th of October, we got a news flash that, that UTMB is now going to be hosting a race in Whistler. In Whistler. And on a very similar course um, in the same place where this sort of small company had been hosting a race for the 10 years prior. This feels like something that Iron Man has done a few times, kind of gone into a local market and uh, appropriated the infrastructure that some other small company has built for their own race. Um, and then, of course, turned it into a for-profit venture and in the process crowded out the small local race director. Yeah. Um, this is this smells corporate Iron Man like every which way you try to turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it kind of reached ahead and broke the Internet this week when uh, the the small race director, a guy named Gary Robbins, um, uh, wrote this long blog post. And where he said the reason why we decided not to have the race was because the landowners had given us all these extra safeguards and all these different regulations that we had to follow. And we're just a small company. And we can't do that. And there was an implication that that the landowners there was actually working with Ironman and with UTMB already in order to maybe create these these different regulations that this little small company wasn't able to bear but only a big company like Ironman slash UTMB would be able to bear, thereby leaving the door open for them to walk into this market. Um, yeah, and and just to clarify, like Whistler is owned by Vale Resorts, so this is more of, you know, they couldn't like initially. You could think of it like, oh well, Vale Resorts. They expected the permitting to be hard. They expected, um, you know, to face different challenges in order to put on the race. But then, when you find out there's, you know, like a, a UN, UTMB Vale Resorts. Uh, hookup, so to speak, um, and Vail Resorts gives this race now owned by Ironman, branded UTMB, the go-ahead. It just, uh, it does not look good for UTMB. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it looks like, like I said, like they're doing this kind of well-known play out of Ironman's playbook, yeah. that they're, they're finding a popular local race, um, and they're creating essentially a situation where the local race has to go out of business, 
And then they kind of take over that market and they turn it into one of their branded races that people then can then run in order to to qualify for their world championship, UTMB in Chamonix, France. Um, yeah, so the, there's there's been a lot of backlash inside the trail running community, um, you know, be, be it on podcasts or be it in YouTube videos. Uh, even Jim Walmsley posted something about it on Strava, who won UTMB this year. He posted it on Strava to, to the effect of like, where are we supposed to run now or something like that? Um, right. There was a, a really full-throated uh, thing that was posted, I think on Instagram by Ellie Greenwood, um, a well-known ultra runner, uh, who said, quote, swoop in with your big bucks and corporate ways to piggy back off the work of a locally independent country company i get it utmb and chamonix looks cool and you need to get stones from one of their races to enter but please consider if you really want to run utmb so much that you condone this sort of behavior um yeah it, it's really interesting to see like iron man slash utmb try to try to combat all of the the negativity and the backlash that this has mm -hmm. caused um the reality is is you know, Gary Robbins is just, they, he is too well of a respected um, athlete and race director amongst like the mountain ultra trail running community that even if you, you know, that what's that famous saying, don't attribute something to malice that you can to ignorance. Hmm. Like this was not, there is so much of this that is just, it's not just ignorance. Like it was likely well thought out and well planned and, and executed really to push mm -hmm. Gary and his his race company out of the picture in Whistler. Mm -hmm. um, my hope is that it really comes back to bite UTMB. Um, yeah. I mean, so, but, 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 I but we'll UTMB, of course, has said, UTMB has said, hey, they decided not to put on the race. They announced back in February that they couldn't have the race. And so, you know, they just left this market open and, and you're going to tell sure. us that nobody can ever do that race again. Um, yeah. and, so, and so that that's been their line so far. Um, right. you know, the, yeah, their, their race to... is now set for September of 2024, by the way. Right. And they're trying to claim that there was no communication initiated, um, until after Gary disclosed that the race wasn't going to continue, but ultimately, I mean, you know, this is everywhere if you want to go like find more information on it, but Gary did announce that they are um, going to give themselves 10 weeks to come up with a race that competes directly with this on the same day, like in relatively close proximity to what UTMB and Whistler are planning. So I guess like the outcome of the situation will be seen based on like who races where this weekend next year. Yeah. There's gonna be a lot more people at the UTMB event. I know that sucks. <laughs> I mean, the, I, there's going to be. I mean, and and so so you know, it it does. So it does beg the question, you know, where if you're a conscientious fan, you're a consumer of running products, and you consider a race to be a product, like where does that leave you? Um, uh, do you want to go and run UTMB? You have to gather up those stones if you're going to be able to qualify for it. Should you just completely boycott all of races and give up on UTMBs? Super Bowl of running their scenic race through the Alps because you don't like their business practices. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't. I don't think that's totally fair or to somebody who has dreamed about it for years and years and years. Because I mean, it is a beautiful place, right? And it is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, and it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Um, and there's something to be said too for 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 putting on an event that that feels like a big deal you know, um, uh, welcoming in a lot of people, encouraging folks to, to try a, a trail race, an ultra race that might not feel as if 
they they would be able to try it otherwise you know um i mean iron man has always and again this is a play out of iron man's man's playbook and they've been criticized for it in the triathlon world but iron man has always done a great job of making iron man feel like a big deal and trying to make themselves for better or for worse more open to to people who want to give it a try um and if you're encouraging more people to get into trail running to actually try it to to do a, mul- a mountain or ultra race here i mean even if yeah i don't know i i, I I'm, I'm very torn about the whole thing i mean what do you think michelle I don't know if I'm going to Canada to run a trail race next year, but I'm definitely <laughs> going to Gary's race, um, like uh, through and through. Okay. So All right. maybe I'll just register for it just to support it, even though I'm yeah. probably not going to go run there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I hate this stuff. I just hate this. Yeah. But I'm I, also somebody who like is more inclined to do like the UTMB course on my own versus the actual race. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not as, you know, I'm not like as emotionally attached to the stones and, and entering into an official UTMB race. So I think it'd be cool for me to be like, okay, I'm going to Gary's race. I think it'd but be on cool. Principle, I'm going to Gary's race for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it would be cool to do UTMB for sure. I think it would be very cool to do UTMB. I, I thought it was cool to do Kona and I did Kona twice. And, and again, this is, this is UTMB basically doing what Iron Man does after they were bought by Iron Man. Right. Um, it's it's I'm sure that it would be a fascinating and fun race if I actually went to UTMB. I'm sure I would love it. Um, as a fan, you and I both, you know, watched the TikToks and the Instagrams and and followed yeah, the race and, and, and all that sort of thing. They were great, right? Yeah. Um, uh, if we want to push back against predatory business practices by multinational corporations. Does that mean that we don't get to run at UTMB or we have to unfollow those accounts on TikTok? Mm, no comment. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. To be determined. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Um, and, and there's at least one person listening right now who's like, yo, you know that TikTok is a multinational corporation. Yes, I know. <laughs> watch tiktoks that like a few people send me so, so there you go i would be one of them <laughs> that's very true so all right michelle we okay. talked about like everything i feel good about this podcast i know time, now we have to just i have to figure out the sunday run so i can make sure and watch um new york city marathon so yeah, yeah you good do. luck to everybody figuring out how to stream new york city marathon that's always its own marathon well, the, the, the weather is now cooler here, which is nice, which means if you need to run later, you can. It's not like summertime in Atlanta, Georgia, where if you don't start your long run at 6 a.m., you're not going to be yeah, able to get true. it done. Yeah, so so that's good. That's good. Uh, I appreciate you being here, Michelle. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Be sure to share us with your friends. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. 
We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at elementalaltitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementalaltitude. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelonctpa.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.